We've been in a season of prayer in Portsmouth Church and perhaps on some of the Fridays dedicated to prayer you've tried fasting or perhaps you thought you should and uh, felt guilty that you didn't or maybe you wanted to but weren't sure where to start or maybe you just thought it sounded weird and like a terrible idea and what was all that about anyway. Fasting is one of those subjects that in my experience anyway isn't very often talked about explicitly in churches. I've only heard a couple of sermons that I can remember one particularly sticks in my mind from years ago, and it was focusing on these three verses from Matthew 6, the Seven on the Mount, where Jesus explicitly teaches on fasting. Um, and he said, When you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So I remember the main point of that sermon was that Jesus says when and not if, and that is we should all be fasting. And um, I took the point, but I don't particularly recall coming away um, very enthusiastic about the idea. It was more like, oh great, another thing that I can feel guilty about not doing. Thanks very much. So really I'd like to begin to sketch out a positive case for fasting. An interesting perspective I heard on these verses about not looking all sombre and pulling sad faces like the religious hypocrites do is that for followers of Jesus it's genuinely not true. Fasting with Jesus isn't sombre, it's a joyful experience. Um, so when Jesus says the Father will reward you, I, I think that's what he's getting at, that the reward of deepening intimacy um, and communion with God. The truth is that all these spiritual disciplines or practicing practices, they're all about relationship. It's giving the Holy Spirit increasing space and permission to transform us. I can't transform myself, but I can choose to cooperate. And fasting in particular is not about bargaining or manipulation, you know, this sort of I'll give up X if you give me Y kind of mentality. There's a quote from Thomas Kelly that says, Fasting cultivates in us a gentle receptiveness to divine breakthroughs. And another quote from an interview I heard that I liked um, commented that nothing turns up the volume on the voice of God like fasting. God's voice is still and small. We saw that from the Elijah story a few weeks ago. It's easily drowned out. Sometimes we need to just clear away the distractions to hear what's going on. It's not always that helpful to focus on just what we're giving up. It's not so much about what we're abstaining from, but what we're feasting on. And when Jesus says, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, he means it. And we're immersing ourselves in God's supreme living word, which is, of course, Jesus himself. It's turning from this in order to embrace that. Fasting is feasting. It helps us to pay attention. It puts us in the flow, is how someone put it. It helps us to pay attention, to look at a situation and ask, Jesus, where are you in this? Now, full disclosure, I'm not an experienced practitioner of fasting. I'd say I've um, dabbled with some regular practice in different seasons of my life, so I don't want to give the wrong impression. 
I have been interested in spiritual formation more broadly for some time. Um, so in this talk, I'm really drawing on a lot of other people's experience and wisdom from um, people I've listened to and that I've read and so on. And I can't go into loads of detail here. It is a big subject, um, but I have included some resources that I've found helpful. So books, um, some websites, some podcasts you can listen to um, for anyone who is interested in going a little further and they should appear after the service. Um, there's also some plans to have another Zoom uh, panel-style discussion at some point in the future, so do look out for that as well if you're interested. So let's go back to Jesus and look at his example of fasting, starting with his temptation in the desert, um, which is relayed in Matthew 4. So this is right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, just after he's baptised. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms so of the world and their splendour. All of this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God, and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Let's just pause briefly and define exactly what we're talking about. So in the Bible, the normal practice of fasting refers to voluntarily giving up all food, but not water, for spiritual purposes. So Jesus fasted 40 days and it says in the, here in the Bible that he was hungry. It doesn't say he was thirsty. And he was tempted to eat. Uh, so he was drinking. Okay, he wasn't tempted to drink. There were a few examples um, in the Bible, not many, but we're told that on occasion someone didn't eat or drink. Um, but those seem to be special cases and they don't tend to be more than three days. So this is not um, recommended normal practice. Um, what we're talking about is, is, is just food. So some people have supposed um, that the devil in this story waited 40 days after Jesus was fasting when he was at his weakest to tempt him. But interestingly, if you read the perspectives of those who are experienced practitioners of fasting, they'll often have a view that was completely the other way around. They see that Jesus' 40 days of prayer and solitude and fasting gave him precisely the spiritual power-up almost to overcome the temptations here. 
It was the spirit that led him into the wilderness, after all. And what do you think he was thinking and praying about all that time? He's just been baptised by John and he's about to launch his public ministry. I'm pretty sure that what was on his mind was, what should the Messiah look like? We don't really have time to go into it here, but I don't think these temptations were arbitrary. They were related to the whole sweep of his mission as the Messiah. That's a little um, bit of an inspiration for us too. I'm thinking um, of our current programme of Friday prayer and fasting as a church. Together we're seeking God and the Spirit's leading about the future direction of Portswood. Um, so we're in good company there. <clears throat> the answer to the first temptation that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Well, he was practising that for sure in the desert. He was immersed in the word of God. His mind was full of it. Look at how he sees off the other temptations. You know, he was invited by the Spirit into the wilderness for prayer and fasting. He was in the zone. God was powerfully revealing to Jesus what kind of Messiah he should be. Maybe he was even drafting the Sermon on the, on the Mount, which is, you know, the very next chapter that we read about. Remember in John 4, the Samaritan woman at the well? I won't read it all out, but it, it comes fairly early on in John's Gospel at a point where the disciples have interestingly been having quite a fruitful time baptising a lot of new followers, and then Jesus unexpectedly leaves Judea um, to go back north to Galilee, and they go through Samaria. The disciples have all gone off to buy food in the town and left Jesus on his own. And when they return, they find him talking to a Samaritan woman, <clears throat> the Bible just says the disciples were returned and were surprised, which I think is a bit of an understatement. It was crucially inappropriate in that culture for a Jewish man to be alone talking with a woman, let alone a Samaritan. But Jesus has had a life-changing conversation with her and she went off back to her village to invite all her neighbours to come and meet Jesus for themselves. So back to fasting. Um, there's this interesting bit where the disciples urged Jesus to eat something. Um, to presumably to break his fast, right? I mean, it's not explicitly said, but that's the implication that they've gone to buy food. Jesus is he's, he's been fasting, um, and he says, "I have food to eat that you know nothing about." To do the will of him who sent me, um, and finish his work, which is why I think that this is not just Jesus, you know, randomly running out of food. I think that's just part of a deli deliberate kind of spiritual practice that he's kind of tuned into here. So then this, comes, this bit where he's explaining about food and Jesus kind of talks about the fields are ripe for the harvest and that's just as the Samaritan woman arrives back. You see, Jesus who was fasting, he was so in tune with what God was doing that he could see the spiritual harvest beckoning but the disciples were missing it. The disciples came back from the town with some literal food and then the woman comes back and brings the whole town with her. Many Samaritans believed so he was focusing on what God was really doing here. It's like that with fasting. You know, we turn to focus from this to focus on that, to remove distractions and to pay attention. So we say, for this period, I want to focus 100% on what you would speak to me or us. I'm choosing not to do that so that I can do this. We're not leveraging God or trying to persuade him to do something that he wants to do anyway. What we're really doing is moving to the place where he's already present and active. And we say to Jesus, you know, what kind of fast will allow me to participate more intimately with what you're doing? Because I really care about it.
And the care comes from him anyway. You know, he says, this is what I invite you to do with me. So do we have to fast? Was it a command from Jesus? We'll go back and look at that teaching in Matthew 6. It's true that Jesus says when and not if. Okay, Jesus clearly assumed that those listening to him were already fasting. And this is his teaching on how to do it correctly. However, in the context he was teaching, fasting was a given. So of course he would talk about it the way he did. In our current contemporary culture, it's of course not a given. So although Jesus says when, not if, neither does he say you must. Having said that, if you back out a bit from this section and look at all of Matthew 6, it starts with this verse. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now that clearly covers this section on fasting. And look what else comes first, giving to the poor in verses 2 and 4, and then prayer in verse 5 to 14. When you give, when you pray, when you fast, don't do this, do that. It all flows together as part of the same argument. Fasting seems to me to naturally belong together with these other spiritual practices that we're all familiar with and value as ways of loving God and loving our neighbour. However, there are some good reasons not to fast from food. So firstly, if you've got any medical issues, you may want to run it by your GP first. Definitely take medical advice if you're taking insulin for diabetes. You may need to find something other than food to fast from, but that's okay. Secondly, if you've ever suffered from an eating disorder or even just been someone who has tended to take a diet too far, I'd probably stay clear and definitely seek wise and mature counsel. Thirdly, fasting can encompass things other than food. We can... We could define fasting in a broader way as the voluntary denial of an otherwise normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. That's one definition I've read. I think God will lead us where we need to go here. And you might sense that the Spirit is inviting you into fasting not from food, but from social media or our smartphones. And for some of us, we might find that actually even harder. So to finish with... I'd like to run through some practical advice on how you might get started. Fasting, like all the other disciplines, is something to be experienced and practised. So don't just listen to other people talking about it. You need to experience it for yourself. I've been messing around a bit over lockdown, learning how to make sourdough bread, and I've been watching a lot of YouTube tutorials, um, and still do, actually. Now, these videos, were they inspiring and informative? Sure. Were they in any way physically nourishing? No, nope, not at all. The only way to actually get something real from it is to get your hands sticky and make some. Um, and I think that's the same with all of these things. You just need to have a go. So when it comes to um, the normal abstinence from food type fasting, here are some tips. So don't walk before you can run. Start initially with a 24-hour fast, and that means missing two meals. It's not actually that hard to do. You can go from lunch to lunch or dinner to dinner, um, whatever fits with your routine best. Uh, a good chunk of that time is spent in bed, so that's an easy win. You can work up to 36 hours by missing three meals um, in the day, and you can work up to that in due course. The first couple of times you might want to drink some fruit juice or something, so you can get used to an empty stomach without going full cold turkey or sugar at the same time. Um, 
that's probably a nice way to ease into these things. If you move, uh, or when you move into just drinking water, then keep hydrated, but don't go overboard. You can listen to your thirst. Um, your stomach will grumble at first, but it's not real hunger, it's just feeling a bit grumpy. That feeling tends to come in waves and it settles down. If you're used to a heavy caffeine intake, then you might get some unpleasant headaches from stopping the tea and coffee in its own right. Um, you might be better off um, coming off the caffeine separately in advance to minimise this or just continue to drink you know, black tea or coffee at that time so everything's not all happening at the same time. Now, don't call attention to your fasts. Keep it on a need-to-know basis. For example, those who you live with or usually eat with. But there's a tension here. Remember, we are in community. So for private fasting, it is wise to identify mature spiritual mentors and counsellors to share your walk with. Sometimes fasting from food may be a really bad idea for you and you should run it by someone who can call that out. And that, that is important. Don't forget, primarily it's a spiritual exercise. It should be linked inextricably with prayer. But I've found that it makes praying continually slightly easier. I go through these little iterations of, um, oh, I'm hungry, I wonder why that is. Oh, right, I'm fasting. That reminds me, I should pray about what we're doing together, and so on. Um, and that cycle repeats. It's a helpful way of praying all through your day and practising the presence of God. <clears throat> fasting, as another point, it does have an uncanny way of exposing things that control us. If things surface you'll be tempted to just write them off as just being hungry but try and pay more attention than that. Richard Foster says in his book pride, anger, jealousy, bitterness, fear, if they're within us they will surface during fasting but we can rejoice because we know that healing is available through the power of Christ and I've noticed that to be true. So try and break your fast with a light meal of fruit and vegetables. Try to avoid rich or heavy carby foods. This can become more important the longer your fast period is. Now I've never done any fasting that goes on into days, so I don't have any experience. I think this is something not to be undertaken lightly, but by invitation from God. You would certainly do well to do some more research than just listening to this talk. Um, before embarking on one of these, so do try and look at some of the extra resources uh, I've outlined uh, later on. Richard Foster's book in particular is a lot more practical advice, and I'd recommend that. So there are some tips to get started. It would be great to encourage one another with any stories of how God's working in our lives. Maybe we could experiment with fasting and report back in our home groups or some small prayer groups via WhatsApp. Look out for the Zoom panel discussion, um, as I mentioned earlier. I'd like to finish with these words of encouragement into fasting from Mimi Dixon. So she says, let's not turn aside from or discount the voice that which so many followers of Jesus have said over the years is helpful to them. If we're looking for what's helpful in becoming more and more accessible to what the Spirit of God is doing in us and around us and through us, then here are some things we can do to increase our thimble capacity for joy and beauty and to contain the life of God. They practised fasting and when they did, they said that it opened them up to the Spirit of God in ways that were completely remarkable and so valuable the cost was so worth it. <laughs>